For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. This week on Not Sam Wrestling, it's a very special episode. We're winding down this entire decade and looking at the 2010s in review with my buddy Wade Keller. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Well, what a way to wind down the decade, huh? The 2010s coming to an end, and this, the last Not Sam Wrestling show of 2019. Thank you all for rolling with us for another year. Hopefully there'll be many, many more just like it. It's been a wild year in the world of wrestling, though. We've covered a lot of it. And on Thursday, on the Thursday, Not Sam Thursday edition of the podcast, uh, we went through the people who I believe are the top 10 most impactful WWE superstars of the year. And some people thought it was ridiculous. Some people thought it was right on. Some people were like, you know, you could have put this person on, that person on. And just about everybody was right. It's very subjective this year. There's not a clear-cut, definitive top 10, or even a top three necessarily. I think there's a room for debate on everything. But as we come to the close of the year, I mean, this is a very special one. This is one that only happens every, I'd say, 10 years or so. It's the end of the decade. So today on the podcast, because, you know, we always end up having year-end conversations. But decade-end conversations don't get to happen that often. I mean... In 2010, there probably weren't that many people doing podcasts reviewing the entire first decade of the 2000s because in 2010, there weren't that many podcasts. So I would imagine in 2019, the world is very, very different. And so uh, we'll take advantage of that fact, won't we? We're going to go over all of 2019. I mean, all of of the 2010s or as much as we can get to along with Wade Keller from the Pro Wrestling Torch today. Uh, Make sure you listen to the whole segment, too. It's a long one because Wade has uh, an exclusive deal to get involved. Uh, You know, he does the PW Torch and has been doing it forever. And he's giving a ridiculous discounted rate to you guys listening to Not Sam Wrestling. So make sure you listen. At the end of the segment, he talks all about PW Torch and what the deal is for you guys. So if it's not something you've tried out yet, you're probably going to want to take advantage because I didn't even know how good he was going to make it. I figured he'd knock a couple bucks off, but I don't even understand how he's making any money at this point. Not really my problem. I'm really more concerned with you guys getting a good deal than making sure Wade is making a profit. I like Wade, but I'd rather see it go to you guys than him. That's just me. And he, I guess he would too because that's what he did. Um, before we get to that, uh, it is interesting that as we leave 2019, we're still on Twitter having debates with, you know, traditionalists versus non-traditionalists when it comes to pro wrestling. But at this point, it's so been done. I can't believe, God bless Jim Cornette. God bless him that in 2019, he has the ability to look at something 
make the most predictable Jim Cornette take, and that's not an insult, that he could ever make, and everybody still buys it hook, line, and sinker. This is what Jim Cornette does. By the way, I think it works on both ends. So there's this clip, GCW, an East Coast uh, indie promotion here, Game Changer Wrestling, had a show on uh, the night after Christmas, on the 26th. It was on the Fight app. I got it on the Fight app, actually. And uh, one of the matches had this very, very choreographed back-and-forth segment. Uh, And that... Video clip, GIF, however people shared it, went out just as the clip. And I'm sitting there going, as I'm watching it, okay, at this point I almost feel like the wrestlers that are doing it know that this is going to get under Jim Cornette's skin. So they're playing their role. We know, like in in the in Joey Janela's last match, or, or in Leo Rush's last match in CZW with Joey Janela when there's the no-sell of the table bump off the ladder. Like, you know before you do it that you're going to piss off Jim Cornette and people like Jim Cornette. Like, you know this already. It's half the reason you're doing it. We're going to get a lot of buzz around this because people like Jim Cornette, including Jim Cornette, are going to podcast about it and tweet about it and be pissed. And then exactly that happens. And wrestling Twitter opens up as if this is a totally unexpected thing. And can you believe, hey, listen, Jim Cornette, there's different types of wrestling. And then Jim Cornette says, this isn't wrestling. This is an embarrassment to the industry. And it's this conversation that I've seen played out over the last, like, probably three years at this point, maybe more. It feels like every two weeks there's another thing just like it that's happening. And I say God bless Jim Cornette because he's figured out how to make a cottage industry of it. He's figured out how to make a business of getting under wrestling fans' skin and saying, well, this isn't the type of wrestling that I like, so it sucks. And instead of people being like, okay, this is what the guy does, this is to be expected, they go... Hey, wait a minute, I disagree with you. And they start going crazy, and then the Jim Cornette fans come out, and the Jim Cornette haters come out, and it all lines Jim Cornette's pockets. So, God bless Jim Cornette. I honestly can't believe that people are still buying it and still falling for it. But they are, and I'm sure they will continue to fall for it. Um, As we talk about continuing, we talk about the future. I think that uh, on the Thursday show uh, this week, it'll be, what, the January 2nd, I guess, is when it'll come out. Uh, I will probably do some kind of uh, WWE superstars to look out for in the new year. WWE superstars that uh, will be able to make the most out of 2020. I think that'll be a fun show. Uh, Also, make sure that on New Year's night, January 1st, you're tuned in to NXT on USA because myself, Kathy Kelly, and Pat McAfee will be back. We'll be uh, uh, showing some of the best matches that NXT has put on display this year, takeover matches that have never been on USA before, uh, as well as uh, handing out and announcing the winners of some of those NXT year-end awards. So make sure that you're watching that on USA. I'll be there. Uh, I know a lot of you, a lot of you were watching, certainly. A lot of you were watching uh, uh, the Christmas Night episode. Some people loved it. Some people don't like me on those shows. I don't care, luckily. But the ratings were good, so I guess that's a good thing. 
New Year's night, myself, Pat McAfee, Kathy Kelly will all be back in the NXT control room uh, handing out some of those NXT awards. So, before we get to uh, my nice, lengthy conversation with Wade Keller about everything that was the 2010s in wrestling and primarily in WWE, uh, I do want to note that this conversation goes on for about an hour and 40 minutes. Over 90 minutes this conversation goes on for. And by the end of it, I realized because Wade and I, as we do, had talked our little jaws off about wrestling that we had missed, and we do I do address it, but we had missed one of the biggest stories in the second half of the 2010s, and that's the, I, I would say evolution, but that feels very corporate of me. I'd say just the, uh, the movement of the women's division in wrestling and in WWE as a whole. Uh, you know, I want to take a second to talk about it now because we don't talk about it with Wade, but just because we ran out of time. Uh, but, you know, I think that the transition between what women's wrestling was in the first half of the 2010s and what it was in the second half is night and day. And that has everything to do with the athletes that came through. That has everything to do with the fans that said, you know, we don't want this to be a sideshow. We want this to be part of the show. As a matter of fact, in some instances, we want this to be the main event of the show. This is the match we're here to see, you know, and, and we get to the point where at the 2019 WrestleMania, you had a women's main event that wasn't the main event because it was a women's match. It was the main event because that was the match that the most people wanted to see, you know, leading into Survivor Series of 2018. The match people were most excited about was Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey. And it's not just Ronda Rousey. You know, you could sit there and go like, okay, well, you had a star as big as Ronda Rousey show up at the Royal Rumble 2018. What do you expect's going to happen? But that's not true. It's not just Ronda Rousey. It's the fact that somebody like Charlotte burst onto the scene. I think she uh, showed up in NXT in 2013, but I would say around 2015 is when she really started to make a name for herself and and turn into somebody that you look at and say this is a this is an all-timer. This is a, a a marquee performer. You look at what Becky Lynch over the last 2 years has evolved into. You look at performers like Sasha Banks, I've said it 100 times. Then you can factor in the Ronda Rousey's of the world. You can factor in the fact that the WWE decided to do an all-women's pay-per-view at one point, and not only was it successful, but it's got a lot of people asking for another one and asking for it to be an annual tradition. Uh, the WWE announces an all a women's Royal Rumble match, and it goes so well, it becomes part of the tradition. A women's elimination chamber match, and it goes so well, it becomes part of the tradition. Women main eventing multiple pay-per-views. Women having a Hell in a Cell match becomes the norm. Women in a TLC match. Women in a Money in the Bank ladder match. Every tradition normally reserved for men by the end of the 2010s has been uh, has been also afforded to the women, finally. And I think it's an amazing thing. You know, I also think athletes like Asuka should be mentioned uh, when we talk about everybody. And there's a lot of people that I'm forgetting. But, you know, I think that that it's tough doing a full decade-long conversation because you have to take the entire 10 years into account. And the fact is that in 2010, 
you know, we were still very deep into the divas division, the idea of the women being divas. It wasn't even an insulting thing. This is where it was. You got to talk about the Bella Twins and their ability to evolve. I mean, they were the centerpiece of the divas division and they were able to evolve and hang in there as the women's evolution took place. And had they not decided it was time to go, the Bella Twins would still fit in with what's going on in current day WWE. Um, but the women's evolution continues to happen. It continues to evolve. Uh, and that story isn't being done. But the 2010s will certainly be the decade when that story started. The second half of the 2010s, one of, if not the top historical story, has to be what the women in the WWE did continue to do and what fans are looking for and the fact that WWE is answering to that. You know, you can go outside of WWE and see that what's going on uh, on the independent level, that this is also transpiring there, that there's more and more women's wrestling going on on independent shows, which a lot of independent shows wouldn't have women's wrestling at all. Uh, intergender wrestling became a thing in this decade that wasn't so much intended to be, uh, again, a sideshow that wasn't, you know, about stacking the odds against the woman, but actually creating scenarios where you're having competitive matches with men and women. And I actually think that it's a good thing. You know, I, I think it does equalize things quite a bit. So I'm glad that we get a chance to talk about that. There's a whole lot to talk about with the 2010s and everything that was. So let's bring in Wade Keller. Let's do it. Let's talk about the 2010s and WWE. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. So as we approach the finale uh, of another decade of pro wrestling and WWE and whatever wrestling you all are watching, uh, I thought it would be fun to recap the entire decade, and I couldn't think of anybody better to have uh, just a conversation. You know, there's not that many people I can think of that I could reliably say, hey, do you want to have a spontaneous conversation about the last decade of wrestling and and have any sort of informative uh, confidence in them? But I do in our in our guest this week. Wade Keller's back on the show. What's going on, Wade? Just, uh, you know, trying to figure out what day of the week it is. I, I'm so <laughs> regimented in my life. It's like to, to get everything done that needs to get done. I need to know what day of the week it is and be in a pattern. And Christmas in the middle of the week, New Year's coming up. I, I can't keep track of anything. Uh, there's wrestling, but it's not as much. But then there it is again. It's 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 been uh, it's been a while, but it's actually been a really fun week. I, I really enjoy the holidays and got to see uh, some relatives I haven't seen in a while. So yeah, it's 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 uh, it's been fun. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk wrestling. I'm the exact same way. Like you know, throughout this week, I've been like, oh wait wait wait. SmackDown is on tonight. Like, it. oh, okay, it's Friday. Like, just trying, when your schedule gets out of whack, especially, you know, when you're like, I guess either one of us that has just days that are chock full of everything you can possibly get into them. The minute you start to slow down is when everything just goes like, wait, I'm confused. I don't understand what's going on anymore. Exactly, yeah. There, I mean, it's for people who aren't like us and they live more sane, normal. Relaxed, <laughs> it, it's like, it might not make sense, but I completely uh, am in sync with you as far as needing things to be in sync. And then I think, on a, I mean, it fits into our conversation today because on a on a sort of macro level, when I started going down like, okay, like what am I going to do for podcasts over the next couple weeks, the holidays, blah, blah, blah. 
It's like, well, you know, I'll do a 2019 in review podcast. And I didn't even realize until I was kind of mapping stuff out. Oh, like this is the close of a decade. I can't believe (laughs) I can't believe that another decade of wrestling has gone by. I mean, I think about like the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, but I can't believe that we're now entering into that third decade of the 2000s. I can't believe that it's 2020. When I was growing up, I'm like, how old will I be? And it's 2020. Um, You know, that's so far off. And and now, like, here it is. I mean, I felt that we all felt that way if we're old enough about the about the you know, the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but like 2020 for some reason seems like so much further off to me always. And then here we are. Here we are. Although, this... yeah, I, I'm kind of, it's fun to have, to be able to say the twenties and not stumble and go, was it the teens? Is it the tens? <laughs> yeah. Is it uh, the second decade of the millennium? Like, how do we talk about it? It's a little easier than the, the aughts or the ones or the two thousands, whatever we call the first 10 years. But now we've got past this 20 years of indecision and hesitation. It's the twenties. It's the twenties. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think if you go back, you've got a pretty clear picture of what when you think about wrestling, like what the '80s looked like, what the '90s looked like, what the 2000s looked like. What do you think the 2010s are going to be remembered for? Because I've been thinking about this, and I've got my sort of thought, and it's always kind of different. You know, at the very end of the decade, it's pretty difficult to really kind of give yourself a clear picture because it's impossible for us to completely stand back and look at the decade as its own entity because, you know, we're still in it. It's still really, really fresh. But I know what I think, and I'll, I'll tell you, but what do you, what do you think the 2010s, like the sort of overarching, I don't know, story or theme or defining thing is for wrestling in the 2010s? I think the corporatization of professional wrestling overcoming the and, and WWE in particular, obviously, uh, WWE overcoming what was uh, a tawdry controversial stained image in the 1990s and 2000s with John Cena as the face of the brand, the clean cut, smiling, safe for your television set in your living room, leading star. And WWE, although they went public, you know, roughly 10 years earlier, Mm -hmm. really cementing themselves as a main. I mean, this is what Vince McMahon always dreamed of. He talked in the 80s about wanting to be the Walt Disney of professional wrestling to for WWE to become the dominant brand. But then the uh, the new frontier, the other frontier, the one that Vince McMahon strived for even more so was and and people were just become fans in the last 10 or 15 years. It's hard to really understand how much or, or fully comprehend how important this of an achievement this was to Vince McMahon, given where his company was at different times in the 80s and 90s and, and early 2000s, to, to just be embraced and accepted by sponsors, by the top cable networks, and to end the decade being embra- embraced by Fox Broadcast. Certainly, it doesn't mean what it did in, in 1990 uh, to be on Fox Broadcast Network, because the, the TV industry is, is changing. But to me, that that's the big overriding arc of, of this last 10 years. Yeah, it was almost like there was this goal that maybe we as fans couldn't quite wrap our heads around because all all we as fans are really interested in is the day-in, day-out creative of the show. Is this a fun show? Do I like this show? I wish this character was doing that. We don't really as fans 
pay attention. I mean, as as journalists, you might, but as fans, you don't pay attention to the big picture of the business and where you want this business to go because it's not our concern. It's their concern. But I think you're 100% right that you look at, at all the moves that were made, especially in the last 10 years, and it really is pretty remarkable that they're as close to being a Disney-type company as they've ever been. And and it took work. Yeah, and, a lot of work. It, it, yeah, I mean, the, the the place that WWE is at in terms of when someone says WWE now, and there's a certain generation of people who aren't fans but are old enough who still say WWF, and we all kind of chuckle or snicker a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's been 20 years almost. <laughs> I know. Um, but it's always going to be WWF to me. It's like, all right, well, you got to get yeah. past it. I'm like, I don't even know what to talk to you about anymore. None of those guys <laughs> are anywhere near the product. Like. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's getting to the point where it's like talking about certain football teams as being AFL teams. It's like, nope, uh, it's been the NFL for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I mean, I, the the job that I do in, in, in covering professional wrestling as a journalist and reporting on it and covering the business side of it since I started doing this, like that, that still, as much as I'm watching wrestling and reacting to what happens on TV in the ring, uh, I, I still see it so much of, of, when I watch, when I step back, not the the immersive week to week shows, but when I step back and look at things, that it's 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 like almost a no a no brainer that for for the the dominance. Of, I mean, look at what it was ten years, almost ten years ago. Well, it was ten years ago when when Impact tried to go head to head with Raw. I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy, and that stopped. Uh, you know, in twenty ten, you know, like that they they pulled back. And went back to Thursday. So there was an attempt to compete with WWE. And I think the symbolism of here we are almost 10 years later, and it's just been only WWE until the very end here this fall. Um, they It was the decade of WWE. And again, I, I, I say this parenthetically, but I think it's worth noting for fans who just think, well, isn't pro wrestling WWE? I mean, we know there's other groups out there in other countries and small ones. It's like, no, this this was a diverse, diverse business in terms of how many promoters and you know, when I would create wrestling's most powerful list in the 90s in my yearbooks, it, there were people from all different companies. It wasn't, you know, usually Vince McMahon was on top, but not always. Mm-hmm. Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan topped the list. Uh, but there were always other companies. And going back to when I first started covering wrestling in the 80s, it, it yes, WWF was the biggest at that point. But it wasn't – there were other territories and other businesses competing. And it's it's the last 10 years by really by far was uh, WWE domination – and really, nobody with the money or the creative, uh, the creative force to 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 compete with them. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I think one of the most interesting things that happened over the last ten years is the way WWE handled and reacted to that fact that they were on a national scale and an international scale. They were the picture of what of professional wrestling. You know what I mean? You have, like you said, there were other people doing it smaller people of course new japan was over here and impact you know at various parts of the decade were on various levels and even ring of honor was strong at one point not so strong at another point but you're right up until this last year especially in america but globally nothing came even close to the wwe and i think the wwe network is probably the biggest thing to come out of this decade for the wwe not just because it changed the way people watch wrestling and, and, you know, you, you look and everybody 
has a network now after that. Everybody, and I think it's actually been a really good thing. The fight TVs of the world and the independent wrestling networks of the world, all these kind of companies that were like, oh, well, we can also have a wrestling network because now WWE has normalized streaming. They've mainstreamed streaming on a network that you pay for. And it's made it so all these independent companies that normally would be limited to eyes in the building, 200 eyes, 500 eyes, however many, you know, sets of eyes they have on them at any given moment now can be a part of this thing. And, you know, they're not going to have millions of people watching them, but instead of 200 people in a building, they can have 1,500 people watching them. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got a huge multiple of your fan base going up. I also think that the WWE Network made it so that we started to get this picture of WWE not being Monday Night Raw, right? I think that before this decade, WWE was a show that you, I'm going to a WWE show, I'm watching WWE on TV. I think that the network and everything around the network really helped drive the point home that WWE is this great big company. It includes Raw, it includes SmackDown, it includes NXT. It also includes WCW. It also includes ECW. WWE is this company that includes all of the pro wrestling that you've known for the last, you know, 50 years or however long it's been. Um, I think all of that helped paint this picture that we now just take for granted that up until a year ago, and you could still make the argument that for the vast majority it remains to be true that WWE is pro wrestling. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. I mean, and what WWE did with that to try to keep up on the business side um, with, with WWE Network and then spending so many years. I mean, there were some WrestleManias where it felt like there was a show for the fans and then there was this other show going on for the corporate partners mm-hmm. and the corporate suites, which is look at the charity work we do. Look at uh, the, the mainstream coverage we're getting, the, the era of raw guest hosts. There was this really concerted effort to mainstream pro wrestling and redefine it as sports entertainment and get the WWE brand over as just part of Americana, part of it. It's a Vince McMahon term, Americana, part of pop culture, and then to cash in on it. And that first TV deal that came in short of what they were hoping for um, it, it then got – that, that was that was a letdown, and then they just doubled down, mm-hmm. and then this last TV deal was everything they hoped for and more. And so when you end the decade, I think you look at, you know, we talk about where WWE is relative, you know, dominating the industry. It's just WWE's financial positioning is a huge story. It's not, an, it's, it's, it's an end point to the decade, which is how financially strong they are with, yeah. with the money coming in from the new TV deals and from WWE Network and from Saudi Arabia. The, the diminishing importance of house shows and to a degree the diminishing importance of TV ratings although that's a controversial topic because they wouldn't have this huge TV deal if they weren't still despite all the ways to watch WWE outside of linear cable and or DVR recorded off of linear cable that's where a huge chunk of their money comes from and they need to sustain that but nevertheless it, it's less important to their certainly survival and even thriving um, than uh, than it wasn't, and it was part of a very concerted corporate effort to 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 fill the TV shows with so much content about WWE the brand. Here's what we stand for. Here's what we're doing uh, outside of the ring, 
and please look at us as a safe place for advertisers. And that, I mean, 20 years ago, that was not the case. They, they, it was 20 years ago this week that, or this month that they were dealing with some issues with corporate sponsors over content on Raw during mm -hmm. the Attitude Era. And it was, you know, they were panicked about the fact that they were going to lose some sponsors and be seen as a, a company that you don't want to be associated with. And I think that stuck with Vince McMahon and it's embedded in the DNA of the culture, which is let's get, there's so much money to be made if we can just stay out of the controversial headlines and be a PG product that is seen as a, as a, as a corporation uh, bringing smiles to people's faces and doing good charity work. And, and, it, and it paid off and, and they're reaping the benefit. Before we go too much further, reminiscing about the last 10 years with Wade Keller, let's think about the present and let's think about the future. And let's think about all the ways that you can support Not Sam Wrestling. Of course, the simplest thing is going over to iTunes, leaving that five-star review and a, 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 I mean, five-star rating and a nice review. Helps every single time more than you could possibly know. But what I would love for you to do is hit up youtube.com slash notsamwrestling, hit the subscribe button, follow us there. In 2020, we are moving all of our YouTube content. That's all the state of wrestling snippets. That's every podcast that we put out. That's every interview in video form. It's all going over from the Not Sam YouTube channel to youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. And I want to make sure that you're all signed up and subscribed so you see everything that we have to offer. We're a brand new YouTube channel over there. Uh, and I want it to be a hub for all of the wrestling content that we pump out here so that you can just go to the channel and see everything you want to see when it comes to pro wrestling and yours truly, the last professional broadcaster. Last but certainly not least, if you want to spend a couple bucks, patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, starting for less than a dollar a week, four bucks a month, you can become a money mark and you can have access to every show that we do uh, early and ad-free. You won't have to hear this part of the show. And you'll have access to the Discord room, which is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and has Not Sam Wrestling fans in there all the time talking wrestling, talking everything else. They just got over their Secret Santa. It's an amazing community. Become a part of it. Become a Not Sam shill at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. So there you have it. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Go to youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. Subscribe and watch those videos for free. And if you still want to do more, Become a shill at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Yeah, I also think that you you hit on something really important, which is that the WWE has figured out all these new revenue streams to open up where they're looking. WWE has always been a very forward-thinking company. That's one thing that they've done extremely well, and I think that's why they've survived as long as they've had in an industry that is not built Wrestling, I don't think, has ever been built to survive long-term on the scale that WWE is at. And the fact that they've survived and are not only surviving but thriving still, I think, is because that they've figured out, like, okay, if attendance goes down, we need to not go, oh, we need to get attendance up. We need to figure out not only do we get attendance yeah. up, but how do we make money over here. Okay, well then how do we make money over there? Okay, TV ratings are down, but TV ratings are down all the board. So how do we make up the income that we were relying on television? And you see companies, you know, I mean, think about, I, I think about it the way I look at these stores. I think in the 2010s to see Sears and Kmart and Toys R Us and all these big box stores that were just, you know, indestructible 
foundations of the American economy and to see malls, complete full malls that at one point were fueling the local economy of whatever city they were in, to see all these places, every bookstore, every CD store, every DVD store, Best Buy, you know, hanging on for dear life, to see all these places that at one point simply couldn't fail going out of business, to me it's because they're not realizing, okay, there's an end to this. We have to see where consumer habits are going and we have to be able to pivot and understand that in order to survive, we need to be able to make money over here because this money is not going to be there forever. And I think WWE has done a remarkable job of that. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've, I mean, the WWE network move mm -hmm. was, some people thought, premature. And I think, you know, there were people who were looking at, well, a two-year arc of revenue going, well, they could have made more if they had stuck with pay-per-views. And they spent a lot of time in front of calculators trying to prove it. And it's like that's not the point. Right. <laughs> the point. The point isn't could you have made more money a year or two over the you know one or two years after the network launched. The point is is are they getting in early enough that they're leading the fans towards a new a new and inevitable way of getting content. I mean, look at you know Netflix and Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus. It, the, the it's it's not anymore. The, the, they knew a la carte at a premium price was was going away, was fading, and I mean there's still USC pay per views and you know different different big events, but for the most part, they they were ahead of the curve on diving in and and stopping what was a good deal, which was pay per view revenue for WrestleMania, mm -hmm. and they they said we're going to roll the dice and do this maybe a year or two before it's fully ripe, so that we are at the forefront of this on a large scale and they risked a lot of revenue in order to uh in order to do it but i think it was th the right approach i mean i do too if you when you look at where WWE was in in going into uh you know 2010 revenue wise uh, i mean it's just it's it's so much different now and a big part of that is they were willing to roll the dice and take that chance on wwe network and not play catch up with other streaming services and i think people do see them as a as a leader, and I think Vince McMahon, on a personal level, be, you know, yes, he likes a big WrestleMania event, and he likes drawing big crowds, and he likes drawing big ratings, but if he can have a legacy that is this big company that was making all this money on pay-per-view, led the way on the monthly fee, just like Spotify and Apple Music and all this stuff. It's not about buying CDs. You mentioned CD stores. It's about paying a flat fee every month and getting a ton. And they were they could have waited and and let other people figure it out but i think he takes pride and he said so in being ahead of some of the other big players that were nervous or scared to to dip into the water sooner uh, as soon as he did and i really love that you bring up disney plus that in 2019 kind of the curtain is revealed and we see what disney's plan was all along that disney spent all this time spending all this money buying marvel and buying star wars and buying espn and buying all these properties so that they could launch their own streaming service where they weren't going to be making money anymore licensing their movies through Netflix and other streaming services. And they're going to lose all this money that they used to make, you know, putting stuff away in the home yep. video vault and releasing home videos. But all of a sudden, ta-da, we were buying all these licenses and now they're only available here. Meanwhile, five, ten years, I mean, ten years ago, more than ten years ago at this point, WWE went, wait a minute, what if we bought up all these beloved wrestling tape libraries and then 
a few years ago goes, ta-da, here's what we've been doing. All these tape libraries that we've been buying up, they're not for pay-per-view. They're not for home video release. They're not for anything. For 10 bucks a month, we're just going to open all of them up to you too. And I, I think that there are a lot of parallels to be drawn. Yeah, yep, I agree. And I think one of the stories is just Vince McMahon being still in power. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, who would have thought? If you look back at, who, you know, who would have 2009, I don't know if people would have thought that he would, you know, that he would stick with. I mean, some people, of course, if he's alive, he's going to be running it. Um, but, you know, th there were opportunities for him to, to scale back or step back in a more public way yeah. than he has. And, you know, he's, he doesn't have the perfect streak of attending every Raw and every SmackDown. Um, and, you know, to a degree, age is catching up with him in certain ways. You can hear it on some of the corporate conference calls that that bombastic, I'm in the front. I'm just raising my hand and I'm speaking first. You know, he's more in the background. Uh, but he talk to anybody. He is still the dominant creative force. He's got two hands on the steering wheel and there's no doubt who's in control and here we are you know another full decade of Vince McMahon in that position you started PW Torch in what year 1987 who would have thought if I told you in 1987 that in 2020 we'd be having this conversation about Vince McMahon still absolutely being the guy you, you there's no way you would have believed it I, I, okay I might have believed it <laughs> because of his personality uh -huh. but I'd have been but I'd have been good for him in the sense of here he is in his 70s still doing it. Yeah. I, I mean, I it's it, it's hard to imagine looking that far ahead. Yes. And, and to, right. But but for in 87, it was still in doubt whether he was going to make it to 1990. You know what I mean? Like it's sure. It was, so so the idea that he would have the type of revenue that that he he has um, is I mean, to do like a what do you do? One hundred eighty six million in the third quarter of 2019 i think something like that when you compare that to the, the revenue that they were doing 10 years earlier it's just it's crazy so but then when you compare it to the revenue in 1987 i mean that is when it was what main event can we put out there to help us do better numbers at msg so that we can have a good quarter you know like it was about it was about tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars not tens of millions or even hundreds of millions it was such a different game so yes for him to still be in control at this level is 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 really astounding and but i mean honestly back in 87 he just it even then it seemed like what we knew about Vince McMahon told us he's going to do this and he's going to do it until he's not he's not taking breath on this planet um mm -hmm. I, I i i didn't see him retiring or moving on to other things even though he wanted to diversify his portfolio at times he's he's a wrestling guy and and things worked out enough even through the monday night war challenges and some other challenges and health challenges that he's still here so, you know, as we talk about the 2010s and how it was so WWE dominant, uh, going in to this decade, first of all, I think as a fan and creatively, the first few years of this decade, I didn't like at all. Like, I mean, I think that WrestleMania 27, which would be a year into the decade, is probably my least favorite WrestleMania of all time. But... You could make an argument, that, and we'll talk about you know the best WrestleMania of the decade at some point today, but you could make an argument that one of the WrestleManias of this decade might be my favorite. I think that the juxtaposition between where we started in 2010 and where we went to is probably as big a difference as the 90s for me. And I think that a lot of that has to do, and you know, the 90s, 
was enormously different. You started, you know, with the sort of new generation cartoony stuff and you ended up in the Attitude Era. I think that a lot of the difference is that in 2010, when this decade started, I think that the WWE's huge emphasis was on creating their own stars that had never wrestled anywhere significantly. And that's when you saw guys like, obviously that's where a lot of successful people came from, John Cena, Batista, Brock Lesnar, you know, that Randy Orton, even The Miz, like that whole wave of talent. But I don't think that the WWE really hit its stride in this decade until they started, and NXT, I think, had everything to do with this. But until they opened up the company, I think that in, in, in the 2010s, WWE became a much less, halfway through, they became a much less closed off place, closed off to new ideas, closed off to new people. They started to look outward a lot more than I think that they had before. And that's with bringing people in where maybe they would change their name, but they wouldn't change who they are. You know, I think that before Kevin Owens entered WWE, now we almost take for granted that somebody like Kevin Owens would be there. Of course he would be there. He had all this buzz. He was successful on the indies. The natural move is to go to the WWE. But that wasn't the case with Kevin Steen. Like, Kevin Steen was a guy that they were like, well, no, he'll never be in WWE. You know, Sami Zayn had to completely, he was probably the first person of this sort of wave to change things, but he had to completely change everything about who he was outside of the WWE before he got into the WWE. Kevin Owens came in, of course, uh, Finn Balor coming in. Um, and then I think that the wave of guys that came in, the group of four that came in from Japan changed everything too. Not because these were the most impactful people in the world, but because it just changed the way you look at who was a quote-unquote WWE potential superstar and who wasn't. And of course, I mean, when AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows all came in from New Japan in one fell swoop, um, I think that that changed everything too. Did you see a difference in this decade of the way WWE at one point was kind of a closed system and then all of a sudden became very, very open? Yeah, I, I think that's a real astute point that WWE reacted. Vince McMahon went against sometimes his instincts mm -hmm. on the type of wrestler to push because there it was we were sort of in a work rate era. Um, we were in, I know Triple H uttered it once and then I heard regretted it because he didn't like the term and it sort of slipped out, but he called it the reality era. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I'm not crazy about that term because it can mean different things. I, I think they were, I think a better term is authentic in the sense that when you see Kevin Owens, he's not a dentist, he's not a trash man, he's not a hockey player. I mean, the whole Bill Irwin goon thing gets overplayed as a, you know, Duke the Dumpster Drozzy and stuff. That gets overplayed because those are just sort of enhancement guys right. to make TV a little more interesting. But nevertheless, it was a very character-driven earthquake, you know, mm -hmm. typhoon. And it's, Kevin Owens didn't do, do any of that. He asked Kevin Steen to Kevin Owens. He, it, was, it was him. It was authentic. It wasn't reality because even reality TV is not reality. But it was authentic personalities. AJ Styles, there's a swagger, but it's they didn't dress him up in some crazy outfit. But that was and a key to it too, though. Authentic, you made uh, authentic personalities in the sense that these weren't just yes. okay. We'll just put them in a pair of trunks, and it's wrestler A versus wrestler B. AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, these guys came in with specific personalities and characters. The character just happened to be 
this is who I am. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, that is different. I mean, some of that was going on in, in the, in the first 10 years of the decade, but it really reached a point where I think a generation of people grew up and, and granted, here we are talking about this and we have the fiend, you know, I mean, it's not like it's gone. The undertaker still is, is an iconic figure of this decade, but yes, bringing in wrestlers who were not super tall and did not have, did not get, they weren't given um, some sort of cartoonish personality and, and they got to bring who they were with them into the brand. And part of that was the internet and YouTube and the WWE and Vince McMahon conceding that they did not, they could not, hermetically seal their fans in a world that was of information that only fans knew. I mean, Vince McMahon came up in the seventies through a ter when there were territories and you could introduce a wrestler to the fans in the Northeast in the WWF market. And they didn't know what their history was. They might, some might read the magazines on delay and kind of know, but the magazines were sort of working with them or sort of complicit in, in, in finessing anything that didn't look quite authentic or look, seem, seem suspicious um, in terms of a personality change or a wrestler shifting their persona. But there was a, a limit on that information. And I think you fast forward all the way to this decade and there was a resignation and then an embrace of the idea that fans know who wrestlers are before they arrive. There's a buzz. There are, what's the term now? Influencers. Uh, there mm, were yes. bellwether fans that, who, who would be in the audience and someone would show up and they would pop. Taz talked about that on his podcast when he showed up at MSG for the first time and he walked out with no television exposure and got a huge pop. Mm -hmm. And it was like one of the great moments of his life, of his career, that people knew him from ECW. Vince McMahon at that moment and had to click, I'm not in control anymore. Someone can't show up and I get to define who they are. And there were always issues. I mean, you know, he was willing to put Dusty Rhodes in, in, in uh, polka dots and redefine his character from WCW and he did it with Harley Race. It's not like he wasn't scared to do that even when someone was really well known. But when Taz showed up, and by the way, Taz had, you know, says, yeah, and then I got backstage and people said, you're doomed. Because he yeah. wants to make it from scratch. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't want someone to come in and be a big deal. Um, that, but nevertheless, like, yeah, there, there's this idea of, okay, if we bring AJ Styles in, people are going to know who he is. Enough of them are that, they're, that people are going to react to him walking out. And that's going to help the fans who don't know who he is. Because there are tons of people, even listening to you, Sam, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, who listen to wrestling podcasts, listen to mine, but especially the ones who are at, at pay-per-views and, and, and go, oh, WWE's in town, let's go. Or what's on tonight? Oh, yeah, let's watch Raw this week, even though I haven't in a couple weeks. Those people are going to attach themselves to a degree to wrestlers who the crowd's are already reacting to. Yes. When they walk out and, and, and they go, oh, this guy must be a big deal. And then they go, okay, I, I, I believe this person must have earned that pop that he's getting from these fans who seem to know more than me. So... Yeah, WWE embraced that in a way that, that they hadn't um, previously, and, and it is part of defining the decade. Yeah, I absolutely think so. It was, to me, it was the first time that WWE acknowledged that there was anything in the world outside of WWE since Monday Nitro was on the air. And they did that at first by just allowing elements of people's characters from outside into their characters in WWE. Then they allowed people to keep their names to the point where now you can turn on the WWE network and you've got, uh, who was it? Jeff Jarrett, AJ Styles, and uh, I'm, I'm blanking on who the third person was, who's sitting there doing a WWE-produced table for three talking about TNA memories when Impact yep. is still in business. It's like, I mean, there's never been anything like that before. When you've got various now multiple WWE network specials that it's using footage from impact wrestling 
and that's using, you know, and, and it's just a conversation about impact and stuff that had nothing to do with WWE. When you've got, I mean, I think the CM Punk DVD was the yeah. first uh, DVD that WWE put out that was using not only independent footage, but Ring of Honor footage. And at the end of the, I mean, I, to me as a fan that's been a fan for as long as I have, and I'm sure you had a similar experience, it's still is mind-boggling to me when those shows go off the air and it says, we'd like to thank, you know, Impact Wrestling for the footage, go to this network to see all the Impact Wrestling footage, or thanks to Ring of Honor for supplying us with this footage, become a Ring of Honor member here or there. And I'm going like, this is, I don't know if if people realize how unheard of this was only a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, there was a time where they wanted, WWE wanted to, not even uh, acknowledge the existence that other companies existed. And and granted, I don't think they want to talk or even allude to AEW. I suspect there's uh, an edict uh, that got passed down in some form or fashion, just going, we're not going to take shots. We're not going to go to battle. We don't want to make it seem like we're scared of them or that there's concern. I mean, 10 years ago, Vince McMahon brought Bret Hart back, and that was huge news mm -hmm. because they wanted to counter Hulk Hogan showing up on TNA on Monday night. Um, and, and, you know, the WCW war was fresh in their mind and, you know, they, they said they weren't nervous about it, but at the same time, they, with, you know, implausible deniability said, oh no, we had a dad Bret Hart here anyway. Um, but they, they've been through enough to know we got to counter punch a little bit. Uh, they didn't do, they, you know, NXT is a, is a, is a move in a similar way, which is, you know, they can sit here with a straight face and say, oh, we would have gone to Wednesday night on USA network anyway. Because, you know, we moved SmackDown to Fox, so it's just really a coincidence. And as Triple H rightfully said, Wednesday night's our night. AEW's the one that's going head-to-head -head with us. But going live for two hours at that time slot, while not overtly, you know, acknowledging it is. And then they put out the press release after they lost the first ratings battle by a wide margin saying this is a marathon, not a race. And by the mm -hmm. way, they were right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in yeah. The, in the closing of the viewership. <laughs> um, so in different ways, they acknowledge, while not wanting to fully acknowledge, but to just sort of, like you said, try to be friends with the industry. And part of that is just the confidence that they had, that they could, that they had won. Yes. And when you win and you have that kind of bank account and that kind of revenue coming in and that market share and the market recognition and the dominant roster and a feeder system uh, in place, you don't have to be insecure anymore. And you can see that ROH isn't a threat to your pay-per-view numbers or to yeah. your house show attendance. So why not? You know? And I think WWE also gets to a certain place where, and they did this with ECW as well during the Monday Night Wars, when they go, okay, there are certain outside entities that are good for the health of the industry as a whole, which is good for the health of our company. And then there are entities that are seemingly directly trying to compete with us. We can help the entities that are helping the industry as a whole because that will help us in the long run without going out of our way to help the people that are specifically competing with us. You know, I think that I think that they're probably discerning in that way as any successful company should be. But I think that the fact that they discern and say, no, there's a lot of wrestling out here that we can kind of give a nod to without it negatively affecting us. I think that, that that's a mark of where WWE has gone. And, and I don't think it's done uh, because they're magnanimous and charitable. I think they're doing it pragmatically. And, mm -hmm. and you know, they're, they're thinking, our fans know, 
And if we if we try to pretend that they don't know, they might look at us as in a different in a different in a different way, as if we're trying to hide something from them. So under the definition that you just laid out, under circumstantially, case by case, we're going to uh, not insult our fans by pretending stuff doesn't exist outside of what we do. And there are times where, for the sake of WWE Network, you want to have that footage of AJ Styles early yeah. in his career, Smojo early in his career. You want to have that, and so. Part of it is is you know having having better documentaries on WWE Network and the cost benefit ratio of acknowledging and working with ROH at arm's length as opposed to not and then not having that footage and they're like ah oh, what's the harm and so it, there's it's a it's just it's pragmatic to not insult the fans and let the fans who have internet and and a certain group who know this stuff exists and acknowledging it isn't going to be a boost to ROH's business just because you go thanks to ROH. And so WWE just pragmatically looked at the cost ratio and didn't put some weird, outdated pride on the line. They just did what made sense. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up Samoa Joe because I think he's a pretty important figure, especially when you're talking about the second half of this decade. We'll get back to the first half because there are still a couple interesting little points that I think we could make. But when you talk about the second half of the decade, I think that uh, the emergence of NXT – as, as the staple original show on the WWE Network, and then obviously in this last year coming to USA and really taking shape. But I think watching the slow build, I think seeing these takeover shows just redefine certainly WWE as we know it. I mean, it did. I think it made a huge impact on wrestling as a whole, but we have never seen anything in WWE like these takeover shows that have been going on. I also think the fact that Triple H was... I mean, for all intents and purposes, it would seem, given a fairly large level of autonomy over this brand, is pretty unheard of in WWE. And I think it's really, really interesting, as one of the stories of, of the 2010s, you have a guy like Samoa Joe, who I think it's pretty public, was really just brought into NXT to do a couple shows and be an attraction so that they could start touring their brand and get the people that they were trying to get, you know, in front of an audience, more people to watch. The people that they were training that maybe you've never heard of, that they were like, this guy's going to be the next superstar. If we can get him on a show where 2,000 people have showed up because Samoa Joe is going to be on that show, it's invaluable experience for him. Not realizing, wait a minute, Samoa Joe is a guy that we could turn into a star now. I think that... Samoa Joe coming into NXT with no pretenses and all of a sudden becoming a WWE superstar. I think that that's the same story that Johnny Gargano has. I think that that's the same story Tommaso Ciampa has. That there, There's this group of NXT guys that were really just brought in to help push the brand forward, not become superstars themselves, that have become sort of pillars of the WWE. And it's simply been a story of i think cream rising to the top i think it's it's the, the wwe fought it at times you know mm -hmm. we saw it with daniel bryan when mm -hmm. it was supposed to be no we got to get roman reigns position to follow up with uh, on john cena who's winding down a little bit we need roman reigns he's the guy we want on the posters we see roman reigns at the end of the opening to fox broadcast we see him in all the graphics during nfl games on fox and then daniel bryan just got over like it just like there's this uh, you can't stop fans and Daniel Bryan from bonding. And we're seeing it again this this week, you know, where mm -hmm. he's back and fans are embracing it. They're not seeing it as today's news. He's he's out there with Miz, making Miz look 
and no disrespect to Miz, like three times better than Miz is <laughs> in, mm -hmm. a, in most other matches in terms of just running around the ring, hitting hard, having an edge to, to the wrestling style and the mat wrestling and the counters. Like, it's again, it's not a dig at Miz because Miz is, is had a good year, a good couple years. But in ring, Brian takes people to the next level and fans recognize that. And it was an inconvenient, it was inconvenient timing what, roughly six years ago when it was going on and they fought against it. But largely, WWE gets credit for embracing it. The fans decided what they liked to watch. And when you're in row 20 or row, you know, in the second deck looking down, you don't care if somebody's 5'9 or 6'3. Mm -hmm. What you care about is do you feel connection with them? And can they tell a story in the ring that makes a fight look real where there's movement and and dazzling athleticism and an ebb and flow and a roller coaster ride that they can take you on? And the guys who look good when Vince McMahon is standing next to them backstage and he looks up at them and is impressed with the work they've done in the gym, that turned out not to be what most fans sitting 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 feet away from the ring care about. You don't know how tall Daniel Bryan is when he's tearing it up in the ring. And Vince McMahon, well, he's still looking for the guys, you know, 6'1", 6'4". He also found a way to weave into the product in a productive, fruitful way that embraced and stopped resisting the fact that fans are into smaller guys than Vince McMahon had had a, a proclivity to push previously. Yeah, I think yeah, and I think Miz is an interesting one because I don't think 2019 has been uh, all that great for the Miz, but I think 2017 and 2018, maybe 2016 too, were probably the best two to three years ever for the Miz. I think the Miz came into his own a lot in this decade, but. The twenty, the beginning of the decade, is when the Miz walked in to WrestleMania with the WWE Championship. Probably a, a poorly timed WWE Championship reign for the Miz. I still think that he should have had another reign right around 2017, 2018. Um, but that was the WrestleMania that I said I was not at all a fan of. That's the WrestleMania that ended with The Rock and your two top guys, theoretically, John Cena and The Miz, both getting laid out by this guy who wasn't on TV anymore. But I think that historically speaking, it's a very, very important moment. Not just because, well, The Rock ended up coming back and having a once-in-a-lifetime and then a second-in-a-lifetime match with John Cena. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that even more important than those two matches, because I do think that, you know, and people say what they want about those matches, but I think that those two matches are very important in the history of WrestleMania and two of there, they are two of the big WrestleMania matches. They, I don't know if they'd both make top 10, but they're certainly in the top 15 giant WrestleMania matches, important WrestleMania matches to me. I think one of the most interesting things, though, about the whole story of The Rock coming back, of, of The Rock and John Cena being the headline, is, number one, I think that it brought the WWE concept of a WrestleMania mega match to a whole different level. I think that that is why, especially the first one, I would put the first John Cena-Rock match absolutely in the top ten matches of all time because it, it I mean, you talk about building WrestleMania around one match. They have never, even Hogan-Andre, and Hogan-Andre, of course, is is certainly above that match on my list of most important matches, but Hogan-Andre did not have one of the biggest movie stars in the world at that time in a match that would be competitive. Not a Lawrence Taylor celebrity-type match, but in a real 
WWE storyline, we're going to have a match match. I think even bigger than that is that I think WWE really learned the idea of the part-time superstar through The Rock and realizing that, wait a minute, if we have The Rock have this one match at Survivor Series and WrestleMania, like, that's okay, but what if we brought him back next year and we, what if we put the world title on him at Royal Rumble? What if he was the champion and the champion just wasn't defending the title except for WrestleMania? What if that happened? Would the match get bigger? And they were like, well, I guess this did get bigger. What if we could re-sign Brock Lesnar? What if we could take this same level of thinking and say, okay, Brock, there was a time when we're not signing anybody unless they're going to you know, work 200 matches a year. But what if we told you you could work six matches a year and you'll be the top person in the company? Is that something you might be interested in? And Brock said, yeah, I, that sounds great, actually. Uh, I think that that is a big deal. I'm not down on part-time superstars as much as I think some people are because I think that they deliver when it comes time to deliver. Aside from a very, very select few, Brock Lesnar has almost never not delivered in one of his matches. Um, the Rock delivered in in the matches that he was in. I think that generally speaking, part-time superstar, Triple H generally delivers. I think bringing Batista back for a storyline in one match delivered. I think the Sting stuff, you know, the Triple H Sting, I don't think was exactly what we were all expecting. But I still think that having Sting back, even if it was just for a couple matches and even if it ended abruptly, I think that Sting having a run in WWE is a net positive. And I personally think that bringing part-time superstars as a thing that WWE does was more often than not a positive thing overall. Oh, I think so, too. I think yeah. when you look at the decade, the influence of, of The Rock, yeah. uh, Sam, is, is so important to where WWE went, even going back to the first story of what on the business side and WWE coming embraced by mainstream culture is having the biggest movie star of the decade having started there. And well, you know, I mean, he's not like he wasn't out there raw, raw, Vince McMahon, WWE, but he, 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 res he respectfully talked about his days there while also prudently, strategically, you know, trying to make it seem like I'm not a wrestler dabbling in Hollywood. And, and, and that, you know, he did in the years leading into the decade. But for him to come back like he did, I remember when John Cena first mentioned it, and I was like, yeah, 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 why don't, you know, why don't you invite, you know, what, I mean, like, it felt like in, in, inviting people to dinner who would never show up to your to, to dinner with you. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's nice, but, you know, you wanted to pat John Cena on the head and go, yeah, that's that's a nice thought. That's it never is going to happen. It and, is interesting that you bring that up because that was, and, and I don't think, if you look back on it, you might not remember that, but you're 100% right that when John Cena was out there in the media saying stuff about The Rock, if he did that today, we'd go, oh, maybe they're building towards something. But when he did that then, we were all saying, The Rock is never going to have a WrestleMania match against you, John Cena. That's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> it, it felt, it, it's, it's like a Packer fan just going, yeah, we're going to have Aaron Rodgers over for Christmas this year. And it's like, well, and if you can't make it this year, come on over next year. It's like, you don't know Aaron Rodgers. What are you talking about? That's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's, it was that ridiculous sounding. And it happened. And part of that was John Cena became big enough. Um, and part of it was, you know, Rock decided it was good for his brand and, and would be fun. You know, he was at a point where he could he had enough clout to do something that would be fun. He didn't have to worry about it being a stigma. Um, 
on it. And I, between The Rock and Brock Lesnar, I mean, I think there's a cliff drop when you talk about Sting and Goldberg and other special attractions. But in terms of The Rock and Brock Lesnar, you subtract them from WWE, it dramatically changes the decade. I mean, that's right. The WrestleMania in 2010 was, you know, yes, Undertaker Shawn Michaels was uh, 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 felt like a big match to WWE fans. Mm -hmm. um, John Cena Batista, you know, a big enough match. Bret Hart Vince McMahon, oh, that's a special, you know, kind of a weird, you know, special attraction match. Uh, but it was a, it was like sort of a loaded house show. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and the next year, same thing, you know, Undertaker, Triple H. Oh, that's a special match. Yes. And then there's a gimmicky thing, a Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler, uh, you know, Randy Orton, CM Punk. I don't know if people remember the show for that, but at the time it was like, okay. Um, but, you know, Miz and John Cena yes. was that. And then, and then that's when it took off. And that's when it became what is going to be the big special attraction match. So you had Undertaker streak still going on, but then you had two years of the rock and then you had brock lesnar undertaker after that yes uh, and and so and, and then you had lesnar and reigns and seth in the in the triple R, which is a little bit of a drop off but yeah triple h and sting to kind of give it a little bit of a boost in terms of like you know a, 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 a that special attraction uh vibe that it had and and so they've they they have struggled um to keep that up i think wrestlemania 32 was a bit of a drop off in terms of that feeling with sort of the rock just showing up as a cameo to do something with rowan but otherwise it didn't quite have that same um unless i'm forgetting something kind of that same first ever you know it was a disappointing lesnar ambrose match and reigns triple h which was fine but again more loaded house show than oh my god can you believe this is happening but then they got back to it the next year with lesnar goldberg and really built around that so you know that the, the WrestleMania becoming defined as as a show where what is Vince McMahon going to deliver that's going to feel like a huge special attraction with a match we didn't think we'd ever see. Undertaker, Cena, say what you will about it. At least it was there um, at 34, and they were still trying to do that. And then, of course, last year it was about a, a lot of things, but the women headlining and Ronda Rousey. So more often than not in the last 10 years, they've managed, and it started with The Rock, or it got revved up again yeah. in a big way with The Rock. And that became what defined WrestleMania, whether it was on a pay-per-view era or the WWE Network era. Um, it was about what can we do to put WrestleMania on, on, a plat on, a, on a platform higher than anything else so it doesn't just feel like a loaded house show. And I think just running through that, they succeeded way more often than, than they came up short. And I think, that, I think that The Rock and Brock Lesnar also made Ronda Rousey a possibility. I don't think that Ronda Rousey yeah. is signing with WWE, even though she had a much— she had she had a, she had a much busier schedule than either of those two guys did. I don't think Ronda Rousey is signing with WWE long term if The Rock and Brock Lesnar haven't already done that. And I don't even know if WWE quite knows how to sign Ronda Rousey long term had they not already worked stuff out with Brock Lesnar and The Rock. You know, I mean, I think it's a learning process for all parties involved because it's such an atypical thing to what WWE has done historically. You know, this idea that Ronda Rousey would have a limited WWE full-on career where she would be a specialty, but she would also be a superstar that will wrestle at live events and on television and we can do action figures and we can do t-shirts and, you know, she'll be on the Souvenir Cup. And, you know, I, I don't think that without The Rock and Brock Lesnar, that we see what we saw with Ronda Rousey. Yeah, I think that that is true, and it goes back to how important Rock was 
to what happened to WWE in the years since um, in, in so many ways. Business seeming uh, acceptable for corporations to to attach themselves and brand themselves with WWE, but also to define WrestleMania as an event that brings some people back who stray. Yes. You know, there's this this annual WrestleMania season that, that you know, WWE wants people to watch all the time. But if you want them to watch equally all the time, you never have a Super Bowl. You know, mm-hmm. the NFL just said, we don't want that. We don't, we don't want people to think we, week seven is less important than week 17. Well, you can't do that. You got to, you got to build to something and have a, a, a final week where playoffs positioning or a playoff spot is on the line and then playoffs and a Super Bowl. Of course, that's bigger than week six or week four. And WWE, they're like, please watch us all the time. But if you, if you stray or you're not, tune into WrestleMania. We're going to give you something special. And they have, again, not, it hasn't worked out with a home run or a grand slam every year, but most of the time, you know, and I think there's a big drop off for Sting and, and Goldberg. And I think Ronda Rousey's somewhere in between rock and Lesnar and Sting and Goldberg, but all five of them were special, meaningful, special attractions to make WrestleMania seem like it was something special and not a loaded house show. Yeah. And I also think that it started to allow people to rethink how current superstars were able to kind of elongate careers especially The Undertaker, you know? The Undertaker is such a valuable character in the WWE. Do we need him all year long? Or is it worth it to just have him try to get healthy and once a year come off the shelf and show up at WrestleMania or wherever he's going to show up? Um, I think that that sort of redefined how The Undertaker was used in WWE. Uh, I also think that now we can talk a little bit more about the streak ending. I think that that was a big deal in this decade, the streak ending at WrestleMania 30 with Brock Lesnar. And, you know, I think that there's there's two ways of looking at it. Was it the right thing or shouldn't should it not have been done? And I think you have to look at it from perspective. I think from the Brock Lesnar perspective, it was 100% the right thing to do. You know, Brock Lesnar... He was still a big deal. He was still an attraction. But look, leading into that WrestleMania, he had lost to Triple H. He had lost to John Cena. Like, Brock Lesnar was not a killing machine. Brock Lesnar was a guy who might win, but if he won against a big star, the big star was going to get his victory back. You know, he, he was this guy who, at first, he was almost used to help get other people over, which you can only use so long. And I think that when WWE realized, wait, we can have Brock Lesnar for many years, not just two years, we have to rethink how we use this guy. He can't be getting beat over here. The fact that he beat the Undertaker streak, I think effectively took away any loss against him. It took away the John Cena loss. It took away uh, the Triple H loss. It made it so he could go in and, and do the Suplex City stuff with John Cena and really seem like in that third John Cena match that he was going to murder John Cena. And I think it's propelled him in the last six years. It's, it's still, there is still gas in his tank that was put there by beating the streak that was not there before he beat the streak. On the other hand, I think that, you know, you might have heard people say, and you know what, The Undertaker is still The Undertaker, and, you know, he's still going to be just as, it's still going to be just as big a deal to have him. 
And while I think it's still, the Undertaker match is still one of the biggest matches at WrestleMania. And anybody that beat, when Roman Reigns beat the Undertaker, still a big deal. You know what I mean? It, it still is a big deal, but it's not as big a deal. There was, this whatever was put into Brock Lesnar, something was taken out of the mystique of the Undertaker. We now, there is a post-streak Undertaker and a pre-streak Undertaker. Still good on both ends, but one is this entity that will never be stopped, and the other is this entity who at some point we know now will be. Uh, where do you, I think, because of how valuable, in my opinion, Brock Lesnar has been to WWE, I still say that it was a good thing that it happened. As much as I love The Undertaker, and I would love for that character to just exist forever as an undefeated, impossible-to-beat entity, Brock Lesnar has added a lot, and I don't think he would have added as much had he not beaten the streak. Where do you stand on it? I, I, you make a really good case for endorsing the, the end of the streak. I think it would be a lot easier call to make against ending the streak if Brock Lesnar weren't still on the roster and mm -hmm. hadn't come back. I agree. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, you know, so we're sitting here at the end of 2019 with, it, you know, the ability to look back and say, okay, knowing what we know now, five years, five and a half years later did this work out and with undertaker's body breaking down and maybe the lack of of you know can he end the streak type characters to for undertaker to face mm -hmm. i mean we could sit and do a whole show on what if undertaker won and i think we could book a scenario because vince McMahon has done this where you, it would it would fuel brock lesnar in a, in a different type of way that would make that that storyline would be losing to taker gave him an you know you can imagine paul Heyman cutting this promo gave him an edge and, a, and a, a, a ferociousness we had never seen losing on the big stage that way. And he goes on a tear and people look at Lesnar losing as a defining moment to strengthen him because of how he reacted to it. So I, in other words, there's ways you can mitigate some of the loss by how you frame the loss. And I don't think a lot of that was done with Undertaker with him losing, mm -hmm. but they could have done it had Brock lost. So, it, it, first of all, it's an easy call. If Brock goes away and you lose out on Undertaker's streak and having a, a, a huge moment, you know, the streak versus retirement on the or streak versus a title, whatever. You can do different things with Undertaker that would have given them a card to play. And I do think they lost significantly. You know, Undertaker against Bray, eh, you know, the next year, it's like something just it was like having an empty seat at the dinner table, mm -hmm. not having the streak at the WrestleMania dinner table at at stake Shane McMahon was sort of this gimmicky thing you know it was, it was it's like I mean I I didn't like it um conceptually I, I just I especially because the, sti the stipulation was not even remotely paid off <laughs> like, yes, yes, exactly. like why even have it <laughs> I know. so but even going in I'm like Shane shouldn't be presented in the narrative of WWE storytelling as a threat any any more than I would on some courtroom drama as a non-lawyer walking in and being able to defend my client against a prosecutor who's won every case in over 30 years. Why would I, as some layperson walking in a courtroom, be able to even compete with him? I don't even know the law. Mm -hmm. And Shane being portrayed as someone who could handle 
Undertaker for more than a minute or two or five minutes, I thought was just ludicrous on the face of it. And I understand you can go back. Well, Shane competed with Kurt Angle. Well, I thought that was ludicrous too. But still, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't just give in on that one. But I. But I know. But it felt like a special attraction. They put big stakes. It's a McMahon. Shane's going to take big bumps, and he did. And I get that. And it turned into a, a spectacle that I satisfied a lot of fans. But was it the same as the streak? No way. No, it was you know, just it was about it was about number one. Shane McMahon is back. Oh my God, I never thought this would happen because yeah, that was yeah. and that's a story. You know, because I think people were so ready to see Shane McMahon leave TV again recently. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that people remember middle of the decade what a huge deal it was for Shane McMahon to return. Nobody saw it coming. It was a shock for everybody. Nobody thought he would ever be back. Nobody thought he'd ever be back in wrestling in general. So to see him not only come back, to see him have a match at WrestleMania, and then to see him extend his stay past WrestleMania was a huge story. But yes, you're right about the fact that it wasn't the same, that we were now looking at something where we're being given an excuse to tune in because I think Shane McMahon is going to jump off the Hell in a Cell, which is an attraction, but it's not the same as the streak. You're right. Yeah. And and then you had a bro a more broken down Undertaker. So this sort of mitigates the argument for keeping the streak alive because he just physically was showing real signs of wear and tear. And mm -hmm. understandably, there's no shame in that. Uh, and so you know, Reigns and Undertaker headline, no holds barred, and it's you know big moment for for Roman Reigns to get that win. But what if Roman ended well? If Roman ended the streak, he'd gone he, that, like he would have had even more heel heat. <laughs> yeah, he would have been a bigger you heel know, than Brock Lesnar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but had Roman Reigns lost Undertaker at, at, at 33 and the streak continued, there might have been some goodwill. Like, wow, Reigns was getting pushed to the moon. Everyone thought Reigns is going to beat Undertaker. And this is Vince McMahon showing the fans Roman is the, two, the, the true, you know, christened top star and you're going to like him, damn it. And instead, he, he sort of magnanimously was booked to do the job and he earns Undertaker's respect through a hard fought battle. Does Reigns come out of that stronger? And then you can play the street card the next year and maybe lure Undertaker into a, an action or lure both John Cena and Undertaker into a full-fledged, it's the last match on the show, both men putting something at stake. You don't even need something at stake for that. And you do a full-fledged match and you build mania around that more than Lesnar Reigns. And could you have pulled that off? Would that have meant more? And again, this is just with the lineups they delivered. They might have done completely different lineups had that finish been different for Lesnar-Taker. But just looking at the way things played out, Taker-Cena means a lot more if there's still a streak. And Cena can cut some great promos about he's accomplished so much, but if he's the guy to end the streak, that's a defining moment in his career. And, and he will help Undertaker up and raise his arm. And uh, But Cena needs to prove he's he, he, dis, he wants to be known as the wrestler of this era. And he can't be known as that with the streak hanging over his head and Undertaker defining each WrestleMania. Cena can say, more than my matches, people talked about the streak. The only way to change that is to beat him. That becomes perhaps a WWE Network subscriber surge because it feels so much more historical than whatever the heck it was that they ended up doing. So, you know, I, I can build a case either way, and I, I don't think it was a disaster, but I don't think it was in retrospect the that had they not done it, they would have been noticeably worse off. I really think there was a significant loss despite the physical limitations of Taker by having him lose. So I'm not, I, I hate to hedge, 
you know, and it's more fun in a debate for me to take a strong opposite side. You made a compelling case. I can make a case the other way mm -hmm. that Lesnar would have been just fine because he's so freaking talented. And Taker was getting near the end of his physical capabilities, and he needed the streak to stay for his matches to seem more relevant. I think Lesnar could have rehabilitated himself just fine with Paul Heyman on the mic and Lesnar's physical imposition, um, his imposing athleticism and look. And Taker sort of needed the streak as he was fading age-wise, physically, to stay relevant. So I, I, I'm kind of talking myself into into endorsing the streak staying alive, um, knowing what we know now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, depending on your perspective, you could easily yeah. make the argument either way. Um, well, I'm glad you admitted you were wrong. Then. <laughs> <laughs> that will never happen. Uh, what was your favorite WrestleMania of the last 10 years? You know, I wish I had sat down and, and ranked them. Um, like, yeah, we should have done that. The way we rank like every WrestleMania, we should we should at some point rank because I didn't rank them either. I have my favorite, yeah. But and I know I have like four that I think were specifically good, and then I have my favorite. Um, like I and I'm I'm a you know I do this for a living and have for so long, and I'm embarrassed at like the fact that in my brain, cause it's just so much gets fed at me every day, every week that yeah. I'm processing and reporting on and talking about and podcasting about it's hard. It, it is hard. It's hard for me to like, and, and I, I used to do more of it when I do yearbooks, mm -hmm. you know, like in the nineties, mm -hmm. I took, I, it was usually over holiday break. You know, I'd like sit down and just immerse myself. Hey family, I'm going to be in my office. And I would like reflect on the year or I would, you know, e even do it later into the year and reflect on the previous year. We don't do that enough mm -hmm. anymore. And if I had only watched ten WrestleManias, I could rattle them off these last ten. But I just yeah. know of them. So right, I, right, yeah. I, so I don't. It's not. A, it's not at my fingers. It's like I can like think about the big matches, but in terms of the the totality of the entertainment value and reflecting on it, I'm not. I'm not good at that. I'm sorry. So I'm <laughs> thinking about how I just how I felt coming off of it. I can't. Can sure, I? Yeah. I can't defend. I can't even name every match on these shows. But I certainly. So I certainly can't defend every match on these shows. But yeah. for me, I thought uh, WrestleMania 30 was the best by far and I think that that's because I think Daniel Bryan winning the championship at Wrestlemania 30 might be the best moment of the entire decade I mean I think I think it ranks there you know you never thought when, when I was growing up anyway there's something about moments that happen when you're a kid that you feel like well those are the moments and they'll never there won't be anymore once you become an adult it's almost like you stop considering moments is classic they're just i mean i guess it's like you just said it's because you're consuming so much stuff that it all when you're younger everything seems more slow and paced out and memorable and now it's just everything's hitting you so fast and you're maintaining everything you knew before that it's crazy and you're and you're stuck in class yeah and your mind wanders to wrestling yes school yes and you're you're <laughs> and, you're drawing little logos like on yeah you're 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 exactly. you think you're taking notes from the teacher but you're really like yeah you know ranking wrestlemania yeah yeah when i'm yeah. when i'm when i'm learning roman numerals from wrestlemanias those are the wrestlemanias <laughs> yeah like yeah so so i think that the wrestlemania 30 daniel bryan winning the championship moment ranks right up there with you know, the classic moments for me are Hogan body slamming Andre, are Warrior holding up the two titles and Hogan going away, are, you know, probably after that, you might end up going maybe Shawn Michaels, but that was a little bit uh, of a created moment. I don't know if that was quite... You might have to go all the way up to, I guess, Stone Cold winning the title... The Rock and Hogan, 
you know, there's 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 a handful, a handful of real like classic, memorable. This is WrestleMania folklore. This is what WrestleMania is made of. And Daniel Bryan winning the championship at WrestleMania 30 is a hundred percent one of those moments. It was, I mean, it was yep. fan service, but it was it was the best story of the entire decade. It was organic. It was, you know, you could never at a different time with a different superstar, you could just, it could never happen again for many, many reasons. Um, and so for me, that was my favorite WrestleMania. Yeah. I thought WrestleMania 31 in Palo Alto was also very, very good. Uh, but I think that that is actually because it defied expectations so much. You know, I think that Triple H versus Sting did not live up to, I think, what people expected it to be. But beyond that, I think that, you know, you go back to Daniel Bryan and that ladder match, uh, I think, set up the standard for what those WrestleMania ladder matches could be. And Bryan, at the top of that ladder with the Intercontinental Championship, took something that you go, wait a minute, this guy who had a WrestleMania moment, had the WrestleMania moment last year, now he's in the opening match? I don't remember it that way. I remember it as like, okay, I believe in Daniel Bryan again. And then really, I mean, it's all about what the main event was. Having Seth Rollins lose to Randy Orton in a spectacular way with the RKO coming off of the curb stomp and then going into the main event with everybody with their, I mean, hands under their butts going, I don't want to see this. I'm I'm mad that Brock Lesnar beat the streak last year and I hate Roman Reigns. I don't want to be here anymore. And then to have Seth Rollins come out and again deliver the moment that everybody truly wanted is that I mean, I, I, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. I remember it and Rollins. It's everything that yeah. Rollins winning the title this year should have been. It's yeah. it's that sort of that's the Seth Rollins moment. And for me, that those moments mean the world. I also do think WrestleMania 33 in Orlando and 34 in New Orleans were very good. I think New Orleans, these WrestleManias have gotten so long that I think it gets unfair because people just remember them as being very long. Yeah. But I think that Ronda Rousey... We were complaining about WrestleMania 30 being too long. Little did we know. <laughs> Little did we know how good we had it. Yeah. I think uh, I think Ronda Rousey uh, and her debut in uh, New Orleans and defying expectations the way she did made that WrestleMania for me. And I think that WrestleMania 33 in, in Orlando was just a great sort of outdoors giant entry ramp, you know, just making WrestleMania look like a big show. The Hardy Boys return. There was there was so much about that WrestleMania that really felt like a real classic Super Bowl WrestleMania that I loved that one too. Yeah, um, no, you you've you've made a good case for a lot of them. I mean, WrestleMania thirty. I, I mean, I I know I reviewed it at the time very positively, and and the idea of of having a show that just start to finish succeeded in in so many different ways including rebounding from the kind of emotional shock of the streak ending mm -hmm. and they met you know the crowd was sort of like in in shock after that for a while yeah um and then daniel bryan and and uh comes out and i don't know if there's many people who could have come like gotten that crowd back the the way the way that they did um but that was such a moment for fans who wanted to see 
a, a symbol of management getting behind Daniel Bryan, who they loved. Um, and, and, you know, just Daniel Bryan beating Triple H to kick off the show, you know, I mean, yes. in a long match. I mean, that in the opening segment get with Hogan and Austin and Rock, you know, like, hey, there's this is WrestleMania. We're bringing together, you know, a, a Mount Rushmore gathering in the so, Silverdome. Yes. It felt historically <laughs> significant. Uh, totally. Yes. And, you know, I mean, and at the time, you know, even Bray Wyatt, it felt like it was a big deal to have, you know, for Bray to be in there with John Cena. It yes. felt like that might be an accelerant for him to become a top star. And then you have the shield intact, you know, against kind of a legacy act. And so there was a, a lot of star power and just, it wasn't a, like, it wasn't a show filled with like, four and a half star matches or even necessarily a runaway match of the year contender, but it just, the whole show felt bigger than the, the sum of its parts. And so, yeah, I mean that, I think that's, I mean, I think for a lot of people that's at the top of the list, but you can absolutely make a case as you did for, for, for next year's mania, um, uh, 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 31. And that felt like, what are they going to do now without a streak? And it wasn't an Undertaker streak centric event, but Bray mm -hmm. was a good character to kind of rebound. Uh, but yeah, the, the the Seth moment and then seeing Sting, the one guy, mm -hmm. you know. And again, I think it's a it's not nearly as in totality, not nearly as significant as, as Rock or or Rousey or Lesnar in terms of his, Sting's influence. But when you're looking to keep the WrestleMania brand alive the year after the streak ends, having Sting come in, set, setting aside what they did in the match. I think that meant a lot to 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 a lot of fans. And and by uh, the way, I, WrestleMania 31 was the WrestleMania where they had their first in-ring interaction with Ronda Rousey and The Rock and Triple yes. H and Stephanie. And that was, you know, I mean, as weird as it was to have that sort of segment in the middle of WrestleMania where there's no match and it's taking forever, it was a very good segment, and it was a segment that I think everybody remembers. And I don't think that anybody realized would be so historically significant as it was. It just, yeah, it checked a lot of boxes that make a, a WrestleMania seem like, okay, that that felt, again, like way more than a loaded house show, way more than a really good pay-per-view. It just, you know, again, um, a really good main event, and I think that's super important. Ten WrestleMania without an exhausted crowd um, and an engaged crowd, and, you know, which, which feels like the culmination and not people checking their watch, just going, am I going to make the... Am I going to get get us uh, get on the subway before they shut down for the night? Um, you don't want that. But the special appearances, some really really good in ring wrestling, um, and then yeah, Ronda Rousey, Sting, a Money in the Bank cash in that people you knew people would talk about for years. Mm -hmm. um, that I think that I think the fun. most, I think up until that point, Edge probably was most defined with that briefcase. That when you thought of the briefcase, you thought of Edge. I think that that moment made it so that Seth Rollins is the most important and 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 memorable money in the bank cash in superstar. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Um but like oh god, yeah. I was going to say who do you think owns the decade? So, okay. you know, I mean, you can talk about moments and you can make arguments for that. You could you could talk about, you know, we don't talk about Sheamus when we talk about this decade, but he spent the first half of the, I mean, maybe not the, quite the first, the first couple years of the decade winning just about every title imaginable. Um, but it did slow down pretty early on. So I don't think you could really make a case for that. Uh, but who do you think? Because, you know, interestingly enough, I think the default response would be John Cena. But we've been talking about the 2010s for over an hour now. And we have not talked about John Cena almost at all. You know, here and there, he's 
come up. Yeah. But we haven't really talked about him that much. And, and you know, I mean, I think one of the most significant John Cena, one of the most significant things John Cena did in 2010, in the 2010s, first of all, it was to be the star in WWE when they didn't have stars. You know, I think that that's a thankless position that John Cena carried WWE through all those years before The Rock was there, before Brock Lesnar was there. All those times that we were saying, you know, when WrestleMania didn't quite feel like WrestleMania, John Cena was the guy that it's like, okay, at least we got John Cena. And I feel bad that that John doesn't get more credit for that because uh, I think he deserves it. Uh, but I, I think that probably the most significant thing all decade that John Cena did was leave. And I don't mean that as a as a thing that like he made it better when he left because I don't think he did. I think John Cena, especially towards the end of his you know run, was incredible. And I think that I would I would if John Cena were coming back today, I would say this is tremendous news. I can't wait to see who he's going to be in the ring with. You know, I would love for John Cena to be back wrestling a one off full time whatever he wanted to do. I think it would be a a, a net positive, but. I think that the idea that he created a John Cena-less WWE opened up the world. And I talked about this a little bit on the Thursday update when I called John Cena one of the most influential performers in WWE of 2019 because I think the influence of him not being in the company changed everything. Yeah. I mean, the decade of Cena was, you know, 2005. Yes. Yes, that's and that's why you know it doesn't quite line up with what we're talking about. But yes, no, yeah, I mean you look at last year, not there. Mm-hmm. Um, the year before, whatever that was with Undertaker, um, and you know then the year before that, it was a uh, when when you still felt like Cena's what's Cena going to do at WrestleMania, and at 33, it was the mixed tag match that felt like well, is this more to like placate Nikki or mm-hmm. like what's going on here? Is this about reality television? It didn't, it, it felt even then he was stepping aside, even though he was in, uh, in, in a, involved in the hype in a major way. You go back to, to 31 and it was Rusev for the U S title. Right. And I mean, that was cool. Cena's whole U S title thing is part of what we will talk about. Um, as John Cena's contributions to the decade is the, what, you know, the, the whole U S title open challenge. And then before that, it was Bray Wyatt, which was sort of like, okay, Bray's on the rise and Cena's still a top star. He's in a star-making position now. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the second half of the decade right there in terms of WrestleMania wow. contribution. I never thought about that until you just laid it out. Has John Cena didn't main event of WrestleMania after The Rock, did he? Nope. Wow. Isn't that wild to think about? Yeah, it is. I mean, wow. and I, I want the book, I want a book to be written someday. And, you know, like I want someone to t- say, what was there and not a scandalous moment or a falling out, but like, how did that transition take place internally where where Vince and Cena both on the same page and Vince and Cena are both about to talk at the same time and they laugh and they go, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah. You know, and it's like, I think we are, it's time for me to step down from main eventing and I want to help you out with special attraction or was it? something else where all of a sudden Cena, because he hinted at this in interviews and we weren't sure what to make of it. Like, well, you know, they didn't really call me and ask. And, uh, you know, like it felt like there was some passive aggressiveness on Cena promo sometimes that was very strategically, Cena doesn't say things by accident. It felt like it was open for interpretation of, well, maybe he's trying to seem gracious and not be a drag, but does he feel a little bit like 
Bret Hart you know, said, oh, he rides you until, and, you know, he rides you like a horse until you can't, can't ride you anymore. And then he just discards you and moves on. Like, huh. you know, there's veterans who have talked like that. Did Cena go through that phase and passive aggressively hint at it but not show it? But the bottom line is hugely influential the first five years yes. of, of the decade. And absolutely, it has been more of an ensemble. I, I think the last five years is defined by Cena being off to the side while there was this battle between Vince McMahon and the fans over whether they wanted to go through another 10 years, 2015 to 2025, of Roman Reigns in the same position. Or were fans going to be more vocal and say, no, we want to pick the guy. And we don't hate Roman Reigns, but we're going to let you know we, we're not pleased with his push because we see it as displacing something we want instead. And that's where... Daniel Bryan, you know, comes into the picture in a big way. I don't think there's a singular wrestler of the decade in WWE, but I I, I think Brock Lesnar ranks higher than John Cena in that regard hmm. when you think about the big moments that that stand out, ending the streak and and being the go-to guy for a longer stretch of time during that decade. I mean, he certainly took over. Yeah, I mean, Cena had a good 4 and then Lesnar took over the 6. Yeah. Like, so it is it yeah. is. I mean, you could if you want to you know, he was in WWE and then out of WWE, but I would say most of the reason he would be in the conversation is because of his outside of WWE. Well, maybe both. You could make the argument that Chris Jericho is the wrestler of the decade um, just based on how he redefined what he is and who he is. I mean, just, yeah. you know, the fact that he had the runs, that the, the various runs that he had in WWE – into New Japan, into being a you know a pillar of AEW, which I don't think anybody saw. Well, I don't think anybody saw it coming long term. I think when it was closer to time, people might have seen it coming. But longer, you know, if you had said that a few years ago, he'd be doing that. You wouldn't have seen it coming. I think Chris Jericho could be on the list. I think Roman Reigns is definitely on the list. I think Roman Reigns no is pun intended. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think Roman Reigns is probably for me the person who ends up owning the decade. I mean, if you talk about a guy who weathered storms throughout the decade of the 2010s, it's Roman Reigns. This is a guy, because the Shield, as short as they lasted, the Shield is surely the most influential group, the most important grouping mm -hmm. of superstars to come through this decade. I mean, you look at, they show up out of developmental and you end up having Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and Dean Ambrose, who across the wrestling world now are are making. You know, I don't think we've seen an impact that big since the click separated. You know, without using too much hyperbole. Uh, but I think that Roman Reigns, because of the roller coaster that he's been on, you know, you can go back to Philadelphia and the Royal Rumble and just the whole world letting him know you are not our pick. And him having to go through this uphill battle, I think that we're leaving the 2010s with a different level of respect for Roman Reigns than has ever existed. Um, and I don't think that has, I don't, I, I think that it coincides with the fact that he went away with cancer and then came back. And, and I think that him going away, cancer or no cancer, just the fact that he left gave people an appreciation for him in the sense that it allowed us to all take a step back. And go, you know what, we're booing him because it's what we're supposed to do. But Roman is the man. You know, I think that when he shook Keith Lee's hand, for example, at Survivor Series, I think that 
there was a time when had Roman done that, people would have booed him and said, we like Keith Lee more than you. He should be the one shaking your hand. I think we've developed this respect for Roman Reigns that makes it so that he is the guy. When Roman Reigns did that, it worked. When Roman Reigns shook Keith Lee's hand, we as fans all sat there and said, oh, we need to keep an eye on Keith Lee because the guy just told us that he is the guy, you know? And it and it was yeah. it was effective. I think that that because and and by the way, Roman Roman, we should mention in this decade, Roman started out in the Shield, and was at a, for a period of time the most popular person in the Shield. I mean, Roman was cheered in the Shield. People loved sure, Roman yeah. Reigns. Yeah. People when when yeah. when when the Shield was intact, and they weren't the biggest. Like when they were on the rise, people adored Roman Reigns. So to go from being the cool breakout on the Shield to being the most hated guy in wrestling, to finally getting over that hump and being kind of acknowledged, not just by the WWE, but by the fans as kind of the man. You know, I don't think that, I don't think that anybody had a decade like Roman Reigns. I think that Daniel Bryan is probably my close second, just because of, you talk about roller coasters, the idea that he redefined how a person can quote unquote get over. He, he, you know, the the idea that he went on the journey that he went on. Injuries. We all thought his career was over for a year and a half, two years, however long it was. And then to have him come back and then to have it be okay, not great, okay. And to have him redefine himself as a performer, turn heel. And the fact that he was gone doesn't even come up in conversation anymore. Like it's not, it's, 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 a, it's, oh yeah, I forgot. He was gone for a long time and we did think his career was over and we did all miss him. His character work was so strong as that planet's champion, Daniel Bryan, that even now that he's a good guy again, we don't think about the fact that he was gone. We don't think about any of it. We just take him as the main eventer that he is. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. So I would put Daniel Bryan as my close number two, but I think Roman is my number one guy. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, my, I'm just I'm thinking if we flip the decade around, do we talk about more? Should we talk more about John Cena? And because you know, I, I'm I'm I want to not weigh the second half. Yes. At seventy percent or eighty yes. percent, I want to do fifty. If we're gonna do decade, we should do fifty fifty. Yes. Would so is Undertaker bigger than Roman Reigns? And and if we if we don't look at the the, the where we are today and and think about where it where it sets us sets us up for the 2020s certainly Roman Reigns means more to the next few years than Undertaker but Undertaker's decade started out against Shawn Michaels right. headlining WrestleMania in a match that is going to be for many people their favorite match ever or the match that made them a wrestling fan or that made them see Undertaker in a light they had never seen before and made them go back and immerse themselves in Shawn Michaels' body of work that they hadn't lived through it in real time. Yeah. And then two Triple H matches that were off the I won't say off the charts good cuz but you know they were at the top of the charts good. Yeah. You know what I mean they, they those were tremendous and then you know CM Punk match which was you know fine and you know whatever. I mean we could discuss historically what that means. And then the streak ending, the biggest match of the decade was that moment, or the biggest moment of the decade was that moment. And we all can know where we were and how we felt when that happened. And it's not like he went away. You know, you, you still had yeah. Bray Wyatt. You had the Shane McMahon match. 
so you had the Cena moment. I mean, no, it's a strong I, case. I, it's a very, very strong case. Yeah. So to me, you look at that, and then you go, well, but maybe Brock Lesnar. On that criteria, maybe Brock means more should be in that conversation. And then you look at the first half of the decade with John Cena and being out there every week on yeah. TV. And every week, I Undertaker wasn't, Lesnar wasn't, Reigns spent a good part of the time in in a in a faction. And then I won't say failing as a top attraction, but coming up short of of being embraced by the fan base to the point that it was embarrassing at times. I mean, it was it was. It was embarrassing for WWE to have the announcers in one universe and then the the sound. It was like gaslighting people. That's true. Like the announcers were saying, Roman Reigns is the most popular superstar they love. And the crowd is booing. And that went on for years. And it was like kind of the very definition of gaslighting, what the announcers would do. They're like, but there's no, that they're not, you know, he's, we're, you're hearing something that we're not hearing. So there were, I, there were asterisks there. And I agree with you where Reigns is now. And I think that, that people look back at what, what went wrong with Reigns, and he was part of it. Um, but he was also, and I go back to a quote I think was on your show, I, I, I do what I'm told, and I hope to get rich. And Reigns was <laughs> I, the guy who's like, there's a machine here. And, yeah? Yeah, I, I mean, oh. when you talk about the decade, I had no idea that my show, who would have thought my show would turn Roman Reigns heel? I had no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but But he... I, I'm saying this in his defense. Yes. No, I don't. I don't think he should have said it. I think there's things that are true that you just shouldn't say. You shouldn't volunteer it. But there is sort of a like this is a machine, and I am a cog in it. And when I show up, I I haven't put in the time. I'm at the gym, and I'm with my family, and I'm thinking about other stuff. You know, we're, I mean, in in with this isn't a dig at Roman, but he's overtly said like he 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 chose. He attempted to build furniture as a career before it crossed his mind to become a wrestler. He said he'd rather be an NFL star than a wrestler. His family business is wrestling, and it was almost a last resort for him. When you look at his biographical path, you know, like mm -hmm. furniture building came. So he wasn't in a, in, so he wasn't a guy who was eat, sleep, breathe, talk wrestling. So he was a guy who showed up, and this is – it doesn't sound like it, but it's a defense of him. As, as a guy who isn't Stone Cold Steve Austin, who grew up loving wrestling and can just talk wrestling nonstop with anybody about anything is fascinating, wants to be a sponge for more information, loves and grew up, grew up watching it and loving it. With Reigns, it was sort of like the family thing that got handed down, that he sort of tried other things before he went to it. And so he did seem like a vessel that was filled by Vince McMahon. And fans saw it for that. They saw him as the corporate replacement for John Cena, who hadn't paid his dues in the eyes of many fans. He was the guy who was cool but knew his place with Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins who paid their dues on the indie scene. Roman seemed to know his place in the shield. He's the cool guy standing behind, you know, Diesel to Shawn Michaels. He's a cool guy standing back there. Quote, he knows his place. When all of a sudden Vince pushed him as a singles guy, when you had the Daniel Bryan thing happening at the same time, it's not fair to Joe, the person, Roman, the person. He didn't do anything wrong. He showed up and hoped to get rich and did what he was told. But the circumstances were such where it was ripe for him to be rejected by a significant part of the fan base. And then when the fans saw the announcers weren't acknowledging it and Vince wasn't going to, was going to push back harder. The fans pushed back even harder and all that. I don't think that can be the, I don't think that should be a wrestler of the decade when you have that kind of conflicting signals and battle going on with your own fan base, a tug of war and a struggle, even if it ended, you know, you say all's well that ends well, and it's, it's landed in a pretty good place for him right now, mm -hmm. but he isn't, 
there's still some dread that he's going to be the guy who beats the fiend and the 2020s is going to be the decade of roman reigns and you have this it's like what what's old is new again now you have daniel bryan as an alternative at the same time as people looking at maybe roman getting the win will it work better this time around if vince goes that route maybe but with daniel bryan as you just led into this now it's like that you know he's still here he's never gone away and we love him we could end up seeing a weird replay of history so i'm not ready to to christen roman as my number one because i think it's an ensemble and i think if we look at the first half of the decade you've got to have more talk about Undertaker and Cena. Jericho's intriguing, but I would have wanted him to have more significant WrestleMania. And not, I'm not just talking WWE wrestler decade. Yeah. Overall, you can make your case for him in the discussion. But to be in the fourth or fifth match at a couple WrestleManias, a Fandango match, a disappointing Kevin Owens match, I'm, I think what Jericho has done is amazing for himself. And his body of work in New Japan and what he did just at the very end of the decade with AEW, I, I think doing his best work in the ring, in some ways carrying AEW Dynamite in the personality development and talking department at a time when we thought it would be an ensemble with Moxley and more Cody and some surprises. I mean, it's great. I, I just don't think his role in the biggest company of the decade was significant enough, consistently enough to leapfrog Taker, Lesnar, Reigns, Cena, or whoever else I just Brian. left off. Or Brian. Brian. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, Daniel Bryan. I knew there was somebody else. You know, I agree. So, and I agree yeah. with you. You know, there's an interesting... And by the way, Cody should be on the list, uh, you know, just because of... Not just for AEW, but the way he left WWE. The list that came out, the whole thing, it, it redefined a lot of things for a lot of people. Not that he yeah, would be anywhere yeah, near yeah. The, the top or anything, but just, you know, somebody that... It deserves mentioning. And there's a... On that note, on our way out... Mark Henry, 10 years ago this week, on Raw. Like, that's where he was. In say the, that again? He beat Mark Henry on Raw ten years ago this week. Wow! So there, like that, you know, like like that's he he. In other words, he was around for ten years. Right, right. And you and know? there's a there's a very interesting photo that's been around since it came out. Everybody's seen it, I'm sure. But I don't know if you've taken a look at it recently. It's from 2012, and it's I think it's from 2012, and it's all the champions at the time together. And it's when there had been a, a whole bunch of title changes, and it was really supposed to signify a changing of the guard. It's CM Punk as WWE champion. Beth Phoenix has the then the the Divas title. There's one tag team title that's held by Kofi and Evan Bourne. Uh, Cody is the Intercontinental Champion. Zack Ryder is the United States Champion, and Daniel Bryan is the World Champion at the time. Before you know, he's it's, it's and ironically enough, it's when he's got his head shaved and you know he's got short hair and he's doing the no 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 stuff. Yes yes yes, it's just kind of starting. It's before Daniel Bryan is Daniel Bryan. But it's really interesting because there was a time when I would look at that photo and say, well, that didn't pan out, did it? Because, you know, what are these guys really doing? But when you really look at it and you look at what the decade meant, you know, it's interesting that you talk about CM Punk and something that at the time was so significant ends up really just being a news story. I don't know that it impacted everything one way or the other, to tell you the truth. I do think it's interesting that you get to the end of the decade and CM Punk is coming back. Um, I think his podcast with Colt Cabana is probably more influential on the podcast wrestling world than him leaving WWE was on the wrestling world as a whole. But CM Punk still extremely significant. Daniel Bryan, as I've said, he's in my conversation for wrestler of the of the decade. Zack Ryder, you know, Zack Ryder's still Zack Ryder, unfortunately for him. Kofi Kingston, obviously. I think the New Day can also be talked about as one of the significant forces in the 2010s. Again, that's more the second half of the 2010s, but there's a huge story in the New Day, and 
Kofi's moment at WrestleMania, I think you could put on that list of classic WrestleMania moments. I think we got two amazing WrestleMania moments last year. But Kofi, you know, I think more influential or or or, or a bigger deal than any of us would have realized until recently. Evan Bourne's Evan Bourne. Beth Phoenix, you know, being a Hall of Famer and coming back and being commentary, just interesting that she's in the photo. And, of course, Cody being turning into what Cody turned into. As it turns out, Punk, Brian, Kofi, Beth, and Cody, all very significant names still in wrestling as we close out that decade. Probably, maybe save for Punk... Maybe save well, Beth is a Hall of Famer now, so maybe just save for Punk. All of them much more significant names now than they were even when they took the photo. So just interesting to look back on that now. You know, we talk in groups of ten years, but you know, we go back, you know, nine or years or whatever for that photo. Um or seven years, excuse me. And you think what what photo today could signify could be looked at in six seven eight years in the mm-hmm. way that that one is yeah um and who who would be in that photo and is it you know is and again if we do cross promotion you know is, is kenny omega in that you look at nxt which nxt per, is it gargano is it cole is it keith lee is it matt riddle is it uh velveteen dream who's sort of a little off the radar it's amazing we've had you know this nxt versus AEW battle and we haven't had velveteen dream um right in, in the mix yet and and they're doing well. So yeah, like who is going to be the the sort of sneaks up on you unexpected wrestler of the decade contender in you know six seven eight years who you could take a photo of now with a title, um, and say yeah that's the that's the next generation. You know, and we should have talked a lot more by the way about the women's evolution and 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 the sort of the 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 women's movement I think is more fitting in the way that the women's wrestling came up and the fact that you know. Charlotte, I think, is going to go down as an Hall of Famer, the ri- uh, Hall of Famer, the rise of Becky Lynch. See, all that stuff happened in the second half, for sure, of this decade, yep. but still a very, very key part to the 2010s, I think. Um, but we've already been going for over 90 minutes. Well, oh, go ahead. Ten years ago, Kelly Kelly beat Maurice in a one-minute match. Already. Exactly. I think that the yep. the story of the transition of the divas into the women is – one of, if not the biggest stories of the 2010s, for sure. And I think that it's it's it probably deserves its own show entirely. Um, but there's a lot more content that people can get to, not only through all the channels here at Not Sam Wrestling, the YouTube channel, the podcasts that come out twice a week, but everything going on at PW Torch. Wade, you've been creating content for, I guess, 30 years at this point, uh, over 30 years at this point. You're making it all available to people, just like we were talking about, and you've got a special deal, I've heard, for the Not Sam Wrestling listeners. You heard the rumor. Yes, yes I've heard. So, first and foremost, most people listening aren't going to sign up for VIP membership. No matter how cheap I make it, they're going to just get free stuff. And you're welcome to do that. <laughs> just search Wade Keller in your podcast app. We'd love to add you as a listener. We do post shows every Monday night, right after Raw, right after Dynamite. We'll mix some NXT in there, too. And every Friday after SmackDown. If you search Wade Keller, click on the red logo. You can download those shows. They're available afterwards. You can also stream them live at wadekellerpodcast.com. And then we also have another feed, which is our flagship and our interviews and our mailbags. And that'll pop up as a blue logo. So please check them out. I think you'll you'll like our, if you'd like our conversation today, uh, I talk like this, 
you know, five times a week, um, uh, sometimes more. So check that out. Just search Wade Keller in your podcast app. But yeah, you can get our archives and you can get all those shows I just talked about ad free and then also get a ton of other exclusive shows from me and my team on a daily basis with a VIP membership. And uh, yeah, you can go back to the late 1980s back issues. You can read like my match every SummerSlam. I reviewed every single SummerSlam, almost every WrestleMania match. You can see our roundtable reviews from the Torch staff. Go through our contemporaneous coverage. What did we say at the time when all this stuff was happening? March through over 1,600 back issues of the Processing Torch newsletter when you sign up in PDF and all text format. Uh, podcasts, including roundtable reviews of every, just about every WrestleMania we've done, either a retro show predating 2004 or 2005 and on when we started doing post-WrestleMania podcasts, and actually every WWE pay-per-view. There's an hour or so roundtable discussion on it. So, yeah, when Sam says you can just dive in and relive any era and, and hear us talk about it the night of the event or when the news broke, um, that is true when you go VIP. So um, you can get a, a one-month VIP membership just because you're a Sam listener at pwtorchvipinfo.com. That'll tell you more about membership, pwtorchvipinfo.com. And on the sign-up form, there's a coupon code. Just enter not VIP. <laughs> Enter N-O-T-V-I-P in honor of Sam, and we'll take $9.49 off any subscription. So what that means is a one-month sub becomes $0.50. Cents. Oh, a my three-month sub becomes $18, so it's like 6 bucks a month. Um, so that's the lowest rate we basically offer ever. I All I ask is if you've taken advantage of a sale in the last six months, like you know a big discount, just sign up again. We'd love to have you, but pay regular price. Um, but if you are uh, if you haven't been, uh, checked out what we're doing lately, we've got new podcasts, weekly shows on like en- de- dedicated to the NWA, to Ring of Honor, to the British wrestling scene, to the Japan scene. Uh, check out what we're doing and get on board for the WrestleMania season for 50 cents for a month. That's pwtorchvipinfo.com. Coupon code not VIP. Not so VIP. I mean, what a value. You heard it. Thank you so much for... Uh, Giving of your time so generously, Wade Keller. Uh, I really appreciate your insight, man. Sam, it's, it's such a blast talking to you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.